Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Drop to verse 19. Now, this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of Yahweh. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not baptized if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered and said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabar beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. In looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. You may be seated. Last week, or two weeks ago, we began our study of the book of John. And um, Chuck presented the overview of the book. And in that, he shared... um, There we go. The twofold purpose um, that I see that we're going to use as we look um, at this gospel according to John. Now, remember, John was a fisherman of Galilee. He was just a simple guy that Jesus came along and said to follow me. And he did. And Jesus transformed his life and allowed him empowered him to accomplish things that he would never have been able to accomplish otherwise. Such that, again, if you remember, we talked last week how the Sanhedrin, when they examined Peter and John, they saw that they were simple and uneducated men. 
But the only thing they could say is that they were followers of Jesus. I'm mindful, this is kind of an aside, of um, Paul's statement in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In and of myself, I can't do anything. But in Christ, I can do all things. Yeah. And so John, um, God used John to pen this marvelous um, work of philosophical genius, the gospel according to John. And in it, then, we see this twofold purpose that John is writing about Jesus being the, the Son of God who became the Lamb of God in order to take away the sins of the world, but that it was for a, uh, another purpose, I think, that behind it, and that is that by the time John is writing this in the 80s and 90s, that the church is already under a struggle, and there's a battle, and there is a lot of false teaching being given. And so he's teaching regarding the deity of Christ in order to accomplish and undergird, if you would, the unity of the church. The church was being fractured by um, heresy. And so, again, the Greek word heresy literally means division. We bring it into um, today meaning false teaching, but it was literally, it was the false teachers coming in and dividing the church. And so John, in my mind, and we see this as we get into John 17 and Jesus' prayer for the church, was seeking to undergird the unity of the church in the deity of Christ, to understand that that's what brings us together, that we're not just another um, social club coming together. We're not just another religion that's out there, but rather we have a relationship with the one true God, and that is what should be causing the church to be unified. Sadly, again, bringing it into our day, there are many different denominations, flavors that are out there. And again, I'm not necessarily teaching ecumenicalism because we still have to stand on truth. But the reality is that we have become so fractured that the world does not necessarily see the unity of the Godhead in the unity of the church. And that's what the whole point is. Uh, this is about in John 17, that Jesus is praying for the church, that they might be one, that the world would know that Jesus and the Father were one. And so the unity of the church is supposed to reflect the unity of the Godhead. Just as I, as a husband, I am supposed to reflect Jesus to the world. Marcia is supposed to reflect the church. That as they... the they look at Marcia and I, imperfect, I get it, um, examples, but still they ought to see the love that Christ has for his church, and they ought to see the desire for submission that the church should have to, to its, her Lord. And not making me her Lord, but you get what I'm saying there, okay? That's what it says, that it, you sh- there's honor and respect. That's there. But, and so we can debate that one, struggle that one. But the point is that... God has believers standing on the earth to be examples and testimonies of greater and and vaster um, things in the spiritual and heavenly realms. So, 
as we then went through um, John 1 last week and we considered um, the, who Jesus is as the, the Word of God, are we off of the, that slide? I mean, the batteries could be dead. Okay. I'm going to... Yep, okay. Okay, thanks. Um, so last week, we considered then that the Word became flesh. And we considered at the beginning who Jesus was. Again, John opens his book with this marvelous introduction. I mean, just kind of slaps your face with it. Especially if you're a, a Jew. In the beginning. And so a, the Jewish mind would understand in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so John begins with a shot across the bow. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And we read in the English, and the Word was God. But my case last week, and I hopefully I presented it well, and that is that it literally, in the Greek, what it says is, God was the Word. It's a definition of who God is, not a definition of who the Word is. God is the Word. That's who He is. And the Word, then we're told in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And if you remember, then when we talked about that again, when the Word became flesh, genomai, it's different than He was born, and we be, um, and that He tabernacled, literally is what it says, He tented among us. It says He dwelt among us, but literally the Word is the word for tenting. He tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, his chabod. Jesus on the earth was the Shekinah chabod, Shekinah glory. So just as Yahweh placed his presence among the children of Israel in the wilderness, in the pillar of cloud by day, in the pillar of fire by night, so he placed his presence, if you would, on the earth in the encasing, in the tenting of a man named Jesus. And the importance of this is extremely, again, profound. Because remember, John, again, is wrestling against the Gnostics. Okay? The Gnostics believed or taught that, that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus when he was baptized. And that the Spirit of God left him before he died. Because God couldn't be born and God couldn't die. Therefore, logically, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God had to come upon him. So John is fighting against this thing. So again, you're going to start seeing this one start playing out. So last week, again, remember we talked about, so he's dealing with the Jews and he's dealing with the Gnostics. Okay, And both of these themes are being played out in this marvelous book. Okay, So as he um, then begins to talk about the word, in the midst of this, I don't know, oh, here we go, that um, he has this little statement regarding John, okay? And so th we're introduced to this other individual whose name is John, not the same John. John, who wrote the, the gospel, was the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. But this John that we're introduced to is the cousin of Jesus, okay? And so we want to talk about this individual who, who 
um, the Father sent, okay? He said he was sent from God, whose name was John. He came for a witness to bear witness of the light. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in order to fully understand this guy, I feel like we need to go backwards a little bit, and we need to do just real quickly um, a little background of who John is, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we're going to kind of fly through the chapter a little bit as we consider this. In, in Luke chapter 1, we are introduced to the person of John, John the Immerser, John the Baptizer, okay? And... Um, and so the first thing we see in John is his conception, his birth, okay, in the miraculous nature of this. And so as you kind of, while you've got it in front, I'm not going to read it, but you've got it in front of you, you can kind of glance down as I'm, I'm speaking, you have the, the occasion of his father, Zacharias, being um, visited by an angel, okay? And so in verses 11 17, you have the angel of the Lord appearing to him, and he says to him, he says, do not be afraid, Zacharias. I mean, you'd be afraid too if you saw the angel, right? He says, don't be afraid. He says, your prayer is what? Heard. Isn't that pretty cool? Okay? Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear you a son, and I'm going to give you a detail about this. You're going to call his name John. All the way from the beginning, before Elizabeth ever conceives John has been named. He's John. Yachanan. Okay? Yachanun. Yachanun. And so, Chanun is the Hebrew word for favor. And Joe, Yah, comes from Yahweh. And so, the favor of Yahweh is being bestowed, is what John literally means. Yachanun. Okay? And so, so that's going to be his name. Okay? Well, we know, and he's, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, isn't that kind of an interesting thought process there, okay? Um, that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so we know the, the, the rest of the story. Zechariah says what? Sure, I mean, how, how, how is this going to happen? I mean, uh, you know. And so he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. He's not like Mary who says, I'm not quite sure how this is going to play out. How does this happen? Well, let it be done to your maidservant, right? He's like, give me a sign to let me know this is really going to happen. And so um, the angel says, fine, you need a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. You're going to be mute. From this point on, you're not going to be able to speak until the son is named. Okay? So you're going to be mute. And so he comes out of the temple. Everybody's waiting on him because he's in there so long, right? I happen to think, I could be wrong, but I happen to think it's Yom Kippur. I think that he is, he's in there offering the, um, the incense, um, and everybody's kind of waiting, you know, for, for him. And so, um, so he comes out, and he's seen a vision. They can clearly, he's, he's waving at them, because, he, remember, he can't what? He can't talk, and he doesn't know American Sign Language, so he's not, you know, letting everybody know, you know, he hasn't learned all that st- kind of stuff yet. And so... Um, don't you wonder what he did for the next nine months? I mean, did he did someone t- teach him a little bit of sign language? Anyways, and so he's coming out, and they're right, and, oh, something's happened to him, right? And so, um, but he can't talk. So for the next so many months, he can't talk. But what's the next thing we find out about that family? Elizabeth becomes pregnant. What do we know about Elizabeth? 
She's beyond childbearing age. Reminiscent of somebody else? Sarah, Sarai, who becomes Sarah, okay? Again, think Jewish here, okay? This is kind of a sign moment, okay? John, before he was ever born, was a sign to Israel. His entire life, his entire existence is a testimony to the nation Israel. Even before he's born. How cool is that? Right? So the miracle of his conception, the marvel of his adoration. Because while he's in the womb, he's three months old. Depends on how you consider the age, right? So life begins at what? Conception. So he's about three months old. He's still in the womb. So not out of the womb. He's in the womb. He's three months old. You got that one, right? Say again. He's negative six months. Ah, no, I think he's three months old. We need, we need to start having new birthdays. So anyways, so he's in that womb about three months, right? Mary just had her visit from the angels, right? And so she is now with child. And she, if you would, leaves the Nazareth area because being pregnant without being married was not a good thing. Okay, that was kind of frowned upon. And so she goes to the hills of Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth, whom the angel said was already six months pregnant. I said three months here, six months, sorry, six months pregnant. And so she goes and sees Elizabeth, and now there's John, six months old, I'm sorry, six months, okay, in the womb, six months in the womb. And when the two of them meet together, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb... And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The babe leaped in her womb. Now, isn't this kind of cool? You know, like, are there magnets inside each one of them? You know, like, and they're polar, op- you know, you know, you know, you know, when you put two magnets together, they kind of, woo, you know. Anyways, you know, I mean, I know these are two lives, man. They're inside Jesus. How old is don't do me the negatives here. How old is Jesus at this moment? We're, no, he's not three. Because remember, because John is six months older than Jesus. I mean, we're talking weeks, if not days or weeks. Okay? Yeah. Okay? So, uh, wh- however long Mary delayed, we're not necessarily told, okay? But basically, it's weeks at the most. Okay? So... Think about when we talk about life beginning, even as, as a culture. I mean, I understand we believe that life begins at conception, right? But the culture debates this thing, right? Here you got John leaping in the womb at the presence of his God. In the womb of Mary. Isn't this kind of cool? You know? And so, I, and so just the, the marvel of this moment, right? And so then Elizabeth uh, proclaims her, her statement regarding um, this whole moment. But um, she says to, to Mary, As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. How exciting is that? Okay? And then the magnitude of his calling, we see even that the, the people then understood. Because when it came time for Elizabeth to give birth, they wanted to name the baby. And so they wanted to name the, the boy. Anybody know? 
Zacharias. Why did they want to name Zacharias? Because it was his father's name. And so Elizabeth's saying, no, no, his name is John. But they're like, ah, she's a woman. You know, you, know, you got to name the, the, name the child after the father. And, and you, can you picture Zacharias at this moment? Trying to communicate, and his he still hasn't learned American Sign Language, right? And he's they're like the guy's going nuts. What's going on with him? And so somebody brings him over a, a little like chalkboard kind of thing, right? And he writes, his name is John. Wouldn't it have been a pretty cool moment? And at that moment, when everybody reads the chalkboard, his name is John. What happens? His tongue is loosed, and he's able to speak again, again. The sign of John is before John can even speak himself. That through the life of this testimony, this witness, the witness is coming before he can even open up his own mouth and speak. It's just really a cool thing. Well, then what about his purpose do we see? Well, we see then Zacharias then begins to talk about when his tongue is loosed, he begins to give this prophetical oracle um, regarding his child who's going to come. And we read down here in verse 76 to 79, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. You will be called the prophet of the highest. Talking about a little bit of pressure and weight here, huh? But there was this understanding for Zechariah's how does he know this is true? Because he couldn't speak for nine months. That's exactly right. He saw the angel. God did something that man couldn't do. His wife came with child. And then God sealed it in his own uh, life by making him mute. And then opening up his tongue at that moment. And I think filling his mouth at this moment with this, this prophecy as well. Okay? And so... So he says, for you will go before the, the face of the Lord to prepare his way. You will be called a prophet of the highest to prepare the way of Yahweh. This, again, and we see it from John, we'll see it in a, in a few moments here, is a direct quote from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah 40, where there is going to be one who comes before to prepare the way of Yahweh. And so Zechariah says, you, my son, you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of Yahweh. That should all be capitalized. Now, it's not in your English, okay? Because it's not directly quoting. But if you go to John 1, where it's a direct quote, how do you see it in your English? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But you know what? There is no word for Yahweh in the Greek. So again, that's the English translator becoming the interpreter, knowing that it's coming from Isaiah, who it's talking about. And so they're putting the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the English. So bring it back over to here, because that's actually who he's talking about. Whether he uses the word Adonai um, or, or Yahweh, we don't know. But that's who it is, that you will go before the face of Yahweh to prepare his way. Okay, we'll come back to that in a moment, okay, because that's a huge statement, okay? He, as well, then, here in same thing, is to proclaim the remission of sins, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. So, John's purpose, 
as that prophet of the highest, preparing the way of Yahweh, was to make known to the people, to proclaim to the people, that the payment for their sins was coming, was happening. That's what the remission of sins is, is the payment for their sins. Okay, And so then at the end of this, we see to, it's to point them and the people to light, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, we'll come to John 1 in a moment, okay? But I want you to think about this statement as well, because it goes, again, back to the prophet Isaiah. When this child, Isaiah chapter um, 9, was going to come, we know Isaiah 9, 6, uh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? And so, but what does it say about him prior to that? What was he going to do? That's afterwards, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. But all the way back up to verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 9, Isaiah 9. What does it say? What's, what's, what's he going to be doing? I see some of you going there. Tell me when you get there. Say again. Verse 1, 2, 3. Say it, say it louder, Justin. So the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They walked in the, the land of the shadow of death. So this Messiah who is going to come, who his forerunner was going to come and he was going to, to talk to the people, prepare the way for Yahweh coming, that they would know the payment of their sins is coming and that Yahweh was coming to do what? Take him out of the darkness and to bring him into the, the light. Okay, So that brings us now sliding right into John chapter 1, okay? Because we're told there was a man sent by God whose name was John. He was sent to bear witness of the light. He wasn't the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. And if we would continue in it, we're told, and that is the true light that giveth light to every man who comes into the the world this is really kind of cool okay again you can you can take this for whatever it's worth okay and we'll, we'll point this out as we go a little bit further okay but the sacrifice of jesus the sacrifice of jesus destroyed overcame had victory over the power of sin and death and darkness for the entire world. For the entire world. First John chapter 2 says that these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous and he is a propitiation for our sins but not for the sins our sins only but also for the sins of 
the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was coming to bear witness of the light that would light every man who comes into the world. It's just that everybody in the world has to make the decision whether they're going to what? Believe it or not. Do you know that in a bank right now, there's a million dollars waiting for you? Your name's on it. All you got to do is go get it. Now, I know I'm being facetious. But what if you got that letter in the mail? You'd probably tear it up and say, another spam. And there it was, really, that this one guy, he's, got a, he's a trillionaire, and he's decided he wanted to bless everybody in the world, and he put a million dollars in the bank with your name on it, and there it is. You know what? It's still sitting there, because you never went and claimed it. Yeah, wouldn't that be a bummer, huh? To find out when you died. He's sitting there waiting for you on the other side, saying, so what'd you do with that million dollars I gave you? You mean that was real? Yeah, that was real. Could you imagine what it's going to be like, a judgment seat? I died for you. I died for you. You didn't have to go through all that. And you don't have to be, didn't have to be separated with me forever. All you had to do was humble yourself and believe what I've done for you. He came to point the people to the light. Do you get that's our function in life? You are to be like a city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. It's not, it's our own lantern. But I almost, it's like a big mirror. You're, you know when you're out there in the, in the, in, and you need someone to, to deliver you, you're, you're lost in the wilderness or whatever, in, a, in a, a plane or a search plane is looking for you, one of the easiest ways to get their attention, if you have a little piece of glass, a little piece of mirror, is just to reflect the sun. And it'll point people right to where you're at. That's who we are. We're just to point people back to the true light. It's not to ourselves. Man, my light is just like so, you know? But it's the point. So that was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. And so then that leads us into his proclamation. This part here that we, we really want to um, think about quickly as we come through. In his first proclamation, when the, when the, the Pharisees sent um, messengers to him, asking him, who is he? Now, you've got to remember, again, don't, again, you know, sometimes we read this as 21st century Christians living in America, and we miss the, the whole dynamic of what's going on here, okay? You've got to place yourself way back there in that, first century quote-unquote ad jewish jerusalem mindset okay and um and so there was anticipation for a messiah to come but they had already had a lot of false messiahs who got them into trouble with rome every time a messiah came not a true messiah but you get what i'm saying who someone who declared himself to be anointed one people would what they'd follow him and they rise them up. And remember, what were they expecting Messiah to be? Say again. Military. military. A military deliverer. He was going to deliver them from 
Rome. Now, thinking that concept right then, because it was Rome, right? The tyranny of Rome. This guy's going to rise up, and he's going to deliver them from the tyranny of Rome. They're going to be the power again. David reigning from all the way from the, the, the great sea to the great river, and everything in between. Boom, there it is. So every time a Messiah came, he came as this deliverer, military deliverer. And every time, what happened? Failure. They got their butts whooped. Okay, and Rome would tighten the corkscrew a little bit more. Okay, and so here we got this guy hanging out in the wilderness in camel hair. He's got this Elijah complex. Okay, he's he's wearing camel hair. He's got a leather belt. He's got a long scraggly beard. He's eating locusts and wild honey, and he's telling everybody to what? Repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. You know, and people are coming to him in droves and he's immersing them in the jordan river and so they want to know who are you i'd want to say hey do you remember that guy about 30 years ago who was a priest and he lost his voice and his his old woman wife you know she got pregnant and 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 and, and everybody was marveling wondering that was me, baby. That's me. And now it's time for me to do what God called me to do. He didn't state that. They come to him, so he's just answering the questions. Who are you? First of all, they want to know, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the anointed one. That's pretty cool. That was different than a lot of the guys at that time, right? Because they want everybody to what? Look at them. No, nope, it's not me. Well, are you Elijah? That makes sense because he's in the camel hair, the leather belt, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. He's got clearly got this Elijah complex going on. Are you Elijah? Nope. I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Now, what does he mean by that? Are you the prophet? I gave you a cross-reference on your sermon note sheet. What does he mean by that? Who's he talking about? Who's the prophet? Say again. The one promised by Moses. Yes, that's exactly it. They, they have been waiting because Moses said that one day that God, Yahweh, would send them another prophet like him. Now, in their mind, that meant somebody who was going to uphold what? The law. <laughs> the law, okay? So, so they're thinking, okay, so are you the prophet then? No. I'm, I'm not the prophet. Well, now they're pretty exasperated. Who are you then? So he gives them an answer. I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of Yahweh. He goes back to prophecy. They know the prophecy. Here you go, guys. This is who I am. Do you think at this point there's any ambiguity? He's making a statement. I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. So that leads us then into this next statement of his statements regarding Jesus. Who is Jesus then? If he was preparing the way for Yahweh, but he's really preparing the way for Jesus, who is Jesus to John, who does he understand him to be? He's got to understand him to be Yahweh. So look what's happening next. Because this is how he describes him. 
John 1.15, John bore witness of him, saying, cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 27. Now, I understand if you've got New American Standard or ESV, it doesn't state this in yours, okay? Um, the NU doesn't have it. It says, It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And then verse 30, and so New American Standard, ESV, you have this on verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Three times he says that Jesus came before him, that he was preferred before him. He came, let me put it this way, he comes after him, and yet he was before him. Do you remember how we talked about how the word was with God, and yet God was the word? How, do you, how does that play out? I mean, it just doesn't make, I mean, how, how does that play out? I mean, the word was in the presence of God, and yet God himself was the word. And that's hard for our little brains. And so, do you remember how I used an illustration toward the end last week? And it drives me bonkers, being the math guy. Everybody says, you know, one plus one plus one equals one. It doesn't equal one. It equals three. Okay? I don't worship three gods. It's one times one times one because that's how you calculate volume. Think of a prism. It's one times one times one. It's the volume. It's the vastness of who God is. God isn't, you don't add with God, you multiply. Okay? That's who he is. Okay? And so, same concept now coming here. Here's John telling these people this guy that i'm pointing out he was born after me he's coming after me but what but he was before me again another one of these statements that just make you what what did he say what 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 did he say so in order for you to again if god says something once it's what Important. If he says it twice, it's very important. If he says it three times, he really wants you to get it. John, in just this little bitty short statement, is telling these people three times, this is the one I'm telling you about, who came after me, but he is before me. And so I got the words here for you so you can see it again. And I mean, in the Greek, this is really kind of fun. He is the after me coming one. He's the after me coming one. In other words, he's coming after me but he has become perfect perfect sense okay so um greek so i'm in the present right here right okay future is clearly from my perspective i'm going to go this way for you i think right is that right so future is this way okay so in the in the greek there's only one present tense it, it's either happening now or continuing. And there's really only one future, okay? But when I go to the past, they have four different ways to describe the past, okay? You have an aorist, which is a past action that, that's punctiliar. It happened. You have an imperfect, which is a past action that's continuing in the past, okay? It just kind of happened in the past. But you got a perfect... That's an action that's happening in the past that has a continuing result even into the present and beyond. Jesus died on the cross. 
And he cried out, Tetelestai. It has been finished. We read it as, it is finished. But it's perfect. It's a past action that has a continuing result. You're glad. I promise you that you're glad it's not an aorist. You're glad it's not an imperfect. Because people could say that it just was back then and not now. But it's a perfect. It's a past action that has a continuing result. And it's not a pluperfect. So now I'm really going to blow your brain, right? It's not a pluperfect, which is way back there. Where now I'm in a past and I'm referring back to a past action that was already done. Okay? But this is a perfect. Now, there's so many ways that they could describe it. He could use any term that's here. Okay? But Jesus has become. And it's in a perfect. It's continuing. Because he was aorist point in time. He was prior to me. Why? Because what he's because what John the fisherman said right from the beginning, right? In the beginning was the word. Aorist. Aorist. Was. The word. That's who he's been from the beginning. Period. But there was a point where the word became what? Flesh. Perfect. It has a continuing result. Where do we see the... Where do we see Jesus now? Think about it. What's the word tell us? Where's Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. That kind of gives you a fleshly concept, doesn't it? Yeah. Boggles my brain. I don't get it. I'm thinking prism here, and yet he's outside the prism. And yet he's in the prism. And yet he's outside the prism. You get the, the problem with my, 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 my brain? It's just, it's in this eternal loop and I can't figure out what the, tri- the triunity of God looks like. That's kind of cool. So you've got this, he was Yahweh, he preceded John, and yet he came after John. And John, again, declares that, I'm the voice of one crying out of the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. That's who he is, okay? So that leads us, oh, he was also then the son of God. I have seen and testified that this is the what? Son of God. Now this is exciting because... This is, again, we think this is a big deal, but to the Jewish mind, they expected Messiah to be deity. Isaiah 9, verse 6, is very clear. And we just read that. There's other passages. So there's this concept, okay? But what they didn't understand, what they hadn't really realized yet, was the triune nature of the, the, the Godhead, okay? And that when Messiah came, he would be the suffering servant, that he actually would be a payment of sins. Again, they had it in their brain that when Messiah came, when the anointed one came, that he would be the what? The physical deliverer. But he was a deliverer. But he was giving them an eternal deliverance, not a temporal deliverance. Go ahead, Nadia. If everything, if everything that Jesus does, I'm doing this for the tape, if everything that Jesus does is an example for us. Why doesn't he get a new body? I think he did. Okay? He does have the scars. He chose to keep them. Yeah, so, which is kind of cool, huh? And I want to go back to that, because I didn't mention that about Fanny Crosby. I mean, most, hopefully you understand this, but Fanny Crosby was blind. If you ever read Fanny Crosby's songs, she's talking about what the first thing she's going to see is. How cool is that? She's not seen anything. 
But she knows when she gets to the other side, she's going to know him by the nail prints in his hands. Isn't this kind of cool? I mean, there's another one of the songs we sing that um, the first, how does she state it? Anyways, but face of Jesus is going to be the first thing she sees. It's just, can't imagine how that plays out. But anyways, but yeah, so he does, okay? In some manner, because remember when when Mary's holding on to him and he says, wait, wait, let me go, because I haven't yet, what? Ascended to the Father and he hasn't been glorified yet. So um, how that plays out, I don't want to be sitting here definitive to it, okay? Make sense? But other than what I can tell you what the scripture says, okay? Um, But he's the Lamb of God. And so this is the part that they they struggle with, that, that Messiah was coming to what? To die. To be the sacrifice. To be the propitiation, the, the atonement, the payment of their sins. They didn't get that. They don't, I don't know if they fully comprehended the prophetic nature of their feasts at that moment. Now, this is kind of fun. This Saturday at sundown, Saturday coming up, sundown, is the beginning of Passover. So Passover, literally, in, for in this year, begins next Saturday. And it actually, next Sunday, when we meet, it will actually be Passover day. Passover day. And it was on Passover day, okay, which they also refer to as the preparation day because of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? Um, at twilight, which was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So next Sunday, between the hours of 3 and 6, right at 3, the ninth hour is what the Bible talks about, is when he would have been crucified okay so in my brain it was a thursday that he died okay so so i understand it wasn't on a sunday okay but according to the jewish calendar next sunday is passover it's really kind of a cool thing so when john sees him then he cries out behold the the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and so this one who was coming was going to be the fulfillment, not only, though, of the Passover lamb. So he dies on Passover. So he's fulfilling the Passover sacrifice. Okay? But if you go to Leviticus 7, and we don't have time for this, okay? Jesus is the fulfillment of the sin sacrifice. Okay? That the way Jesus died, he fulfilled in detail the sin sacrifice that was to be offered. Okay? And so... He was the lamb who's going to take away the sin of the entire world. So, who is Jesus to you? Is he God who became flesh to be the perfect sacrifice? Think about this now. If he wasn't God, he wouldn't be perfect. If he wasn't perfect, he couldn't be the perfect sacrifice. He would be a lamb with a blemish. The Jews are looking for the red heifer right now that they can, they can kill and they can burn and they can make the, the, the purification water at, with the ashes from the red heifer in order to purify a temple mountain place where they can build it, okay? They found one a few years ago, but they found one white hair on its rump. That one white hair on its rump disqualified it from being a perfect sacrifice. Jesus, I believe, came in the 10th day of Nisan during that year was on a Sunday, on the first day of the week. In the next four days, according to Exodus chapter 12, the next four days, he was then um, put through the 
the microscope, the testing, the, to make sure that he was a perfect sacrifice. That's why the Pharisees, that's why the Sadducees, that's why the, the Herodians, everybody else brought him to the test. They were trying to cause him to stumble, and they found out over the next four days that he was perfect and without blemish. And so therefore, on, at twilight, on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, he was offered as our Passover lamb. Going then into the Feast of Unleavened Bread for the next seven days. He was the fulfillment of all this. Who is he to you? Have you trusted then in the sacrifice which Jesus offered on your behalf? And then, as I think of John, I have to ask myself the question, what message am I proclaiming to the world? I am proclaiming something. I am heralding something. What is it that I'm heralding? And so therefore, is there a need to change the way you think and also to change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you alone are God. There is no other God but you. And that you have revealed yourself to us that you are triune in your nature, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see it in the Old Testament being revealed and then confirmed in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And I am so grateful to you for that, Lord, that um, you painstakingly placed it in your word in a manner in which it cannot be ignored. Lord, help us not to suppress the truth, but rather help us to be thankful for everything that you've done for us. Help us to glorify you for the sacrifice of your only son for our sins. In Christ's name, amen.